tempted without sinning. You do have a worksheet on your tables, and I better have the right worksheet today. So may I have one of my worksheets, please? Thank you. <laughs> so we're going to start right off the top there. There's Hebrews 4.15 in the King James, King James Version that says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, <laughs> I'm going to come back to that, all right, ladies? All right. Actually, I want to start with Luke 4, 1 and 2. And we're going to go to number one very quickly here. But Jesus, we find, is full of the Holy Spirit. He leaves Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And it says for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. For 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. You think? All right. I know only of one person who actually fasted for 40 days, and she felt that she was led to do it. I don't highly recommend it. All right? Not unless the Holy Spirit is in it. But um, this is something that Jesus experienced. And there's a reason why he did. And that's where I want to go to Hebrews 4.15. Worksheet question number one. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in, and here's your fill in the blank, all points, tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted and yet without sin. But the point is, he was tempted in all points. All points. There was not one temptation that he did not experience. Now, we know that Jesus is fully God and yet fully man. And it's a hard thing for us to wrap ourself, our minds around. But Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus, although being essentially one with God and in the form of God, he still possessed the fullness of the attributes which make God God. He did not think this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained, but he voluntarily stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity so as to assume the guise or the, the identity of a servant slave in that he became like men and was born a human being. And after he had appeared in human form, he abased and humbled himself still further and carried his obedience to the extreme of death, even the death of the cross. So here is the word of God himself who becomes flesh. He begins this world the same way that we all do, came as a baby. You know, God could have done it any other way. But here's what happened. Jesus came to have the full experience of humanity, the full experience from birth to his death. And because he could have acted 100% in his godly right and powers, he limited himself in order to be able to experience everything that you and I experience in this life. And you think, why would he do that? I hope you see the incredible love that he has for us. 
He loves us so much that he laid aside all of his privileges and rightful dignity, was born in a barn for Pete's sake, with animals. He wasn't born in a palace. He deserved so much more. But he, God, and the plan included that Jesus would be tempted and experience life in all points, just like you and just like me. In fact, I'm going to just go out there on a limb and say, I'm not sure any of us have ever been in all points tempted as Jesus did. I believe he even experienced more of life than we possibly could. So he voluntarily limited himself to being a human being so he could get the full human experience. But it brought certain restrictions. He limited himself. Though he was the light of the world and the way, the truth, and the life, and he gives life, he died. Because in his human flesh, he limited himself to be as we are, and so he was able to die. He got hungry. He couldn't be in more in place than, uh, in one place at one time. He needed rest and sleep. He felt pain. He cried. He bled. He scarred. He scarred. I used to bother me. If, if we're healed, I mean, after the crucifixion, apparently he, when he appeared to the disciples, he said, look, there's a hole in my hand. I can prove to you I did die, but I'm alive. Here, put your hand in my side. This is where they pierced my, my flesh. And so he was fully God, and yet he limited himself to experience humanity. And all that speaks of to me is... God, you must love us so much. And Jesus, you did that not because he had to, but because of love. So let's go to Hebrews 4.15. This is what is the beautiful truth that comes from that. For we do not have a high priest who is Jesus, who is unable to understand and sympathize and have a shared feeling with our weaknesses and infirmities and liability to the assaults of temptation, but one who has been tempted in every respect as we, yet without sin. So he knows what you're going through. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. It was in all points. There is no trial, difficulty, challenge, or temptation that we face that Jesus cannot identify with. And the moment you're going through something hard, Jesus is right there saying, I know how you feel. I've been there. And that's why he can extend mercy and compassion. And that's just the love of God that will draw us close to the throne of his grace to find our time and help of need. He's not sitting there going, buck up. Come on. Don't be such a wimp. Not understanding. He totally understands. He gets it. So number two on your worksheets, the one thing you can't say to Jesus, you don't know how I feel. You just don't know how I'm feeling. And he says, oh, yes, I do. Oh, yes, I do. And I understand and I care. So here he is going through this experience with <laughs> confronting the devil. And the devil is trying to, to have a victory over Jesus. You know, the devil continually tried to take Jesus out. But here's the deal. Is temptation a sin? Question. 
And I think sometimes we allow guilt to beat us up and we think, oh, no, I just had a bad thought. Oh, no, I must have just sinned. But can I just say the temptation is not the sin? Otherwise, Jesus would have sinned. He was tempted. He was tempted. And we're going to talk about the temptations that um, Satan threw at him. But number three on your worksheet says temptation is not the sin. Temptation that gives birth to, to sin is with human agreement. With human agreement. Sin starts as a suggestion. And we've talked about this before. But the devil has no other weapons against you because when Jesus died... He went to hell. What a crazy thing. He descended before he ascended. And it was there that the devil was, was overcome. And that's why we say overcome, by the blood of the lamb. And so when he did that, the Bible says that there was a parade. And I'm thinking we've already kind of talked about this in the previous lesson. But there was a parade in hell where the, the, the loser, the devil loser, and the, uh, the victor was hauling him around in front of all of his peers and cohorts and saying, this is a defeated foe. Jesus overcame, overpowered, and stripped him, it says, of all of his weapons, all of the things that he could use against us. So guess what? Even though he roars like a roaring lion, he's got all of his teeth pulled. He, is, he could only gum you to death unless... You agree with his suggestions. And then we're deceived because all he's got are a pack of lies, right? And so we've got to recognize that we, we just got to put an end to listening to what his lies are and agreeing with them. And if, you've, if you see an area in your life where you have been deceived and you've been listening to lies, the only thing you have to do is break your agreement with it. And then you can be set free from it. And then ask God, tell me what the truth is to replace the lie. And now that lie has no more power of you, over you because you have broken your agreement with it. So you cannot be tempted to sin without a natural desire for it. We find in the first temptation that Jesus was hungry. And the first thing that Satan tempts him with is uh, some bread. If you'll do this for me, I'll give you something to eat. So, of course, he was having a natural hunger, and so that was very tempting, wasn't it, to bow down to the devil's request and eat the bread because he had a natural desire for it. But my husband likes to say this. Um, when people notice that we don't drink alcohol, if we're at a reception or something like that, and people will notice and they'll say, um, so why don't you drink, meaning alcohol? And um, he will say, oh, I drink all I want. I just don't want to. And so he doesn't have a natural desire for that, and, and we've made that decision in our own life, and I'm not telling anybody what to do. That's between you and God. But I, um, I just like that because that is not an area that we tend to be tempted in, but there are other areas that are like, oh, it kind of draws your flesh a little bit. And so the only areas um, where we have natural desires is where we can actually be tempted. And that's where we want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind because now my desire, as I, as I lean in and allow God to, to transform my heart and my thinking, now my desires line up with his. 
And Satan doesn't have a foothold in that area because I don't even want that sin. That doesn't even tempt me because it's no longer in me because I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. Transformed is something brand new that was never there before. It's a huge change, and only by the Holy Spirit can that happen. So here we are. When does a temptation become a sin? It's when you agree with the suggestion instead of resisting it in the name of Jesus. So number four, uh, temptations come in in the form of suggestions. You can resist the devil and see him flee, or you can listen to the devil and agree. I know it rhymes. I can't help it. You can resist the devil and see him flee, or you can listen to the devil and agree. Don't do the latter. Do the former. So number five. Let's move on here. So let's start with our story where Jesus is entering into the wilderness, and Jesus, full of and controlled by the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit. For 40 days in the wilderness where he was tempted, tried, and tested, he ate nothing during those days, and then when they were completed, he was hungry. So the devil says to him, If you are the Son of God, order this stone to turn into a loaf of bread. The devil will always go after your identities as if you're the son of God. Well, was he the son of God? Absolutely. If Jesus had not known who he was, he may have been tempted to say, well, maybe I need to prove myself. Maybe I need to do something here to prove to myself or to the devil who I really am. And thereby he would have been obeying the devil. Turn this stone into bread if you are the son of God. Well, It didn't work because Jesus replied to him, It is written, man shall not live and be sustained by or on bread alone, but by every word and expression of God. So Jesus was entering into his ministry at this point, and he was going to reveal who he is. There are a wonderful study that we've done in the past is the seven I am statements. Who did Jesus say he was? I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd, and on and on. So he does reveal his identity. Jesus knew who he was. So it says after that, Then the devil took him up to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms and the habitable world in a moment of time, in a twinkling of an eye. And he says to him, To you I will give all this power and authority. Can't you just see this haughty attitude? He's speaking to the king of kings and the lord of lords, the one who actually kicked him out of heaven in the first place. But he will exalt himself always. The devil will always try to exalt himself. He says, To you I will give all this power and authority and their glory, all their magnificence, excellence, preeminence, dignity, and grace, amplified, for it has been turned over to me, and I give it to whomever I will. Now, there's an element of truth in there, and that's something the devil will always do. He will take a truth, and he will twist it. He's a perverter. You know, God created sex. It was his idea. Somebody liked that one. (laughs) God bless you. But the world perverts it. The devil perverts it. What's supposed to be a beautiful, holy thing within marriage has become perverted and twisted in the world. And that's what the devil does. He takes something beautiful and he puts a twist in it. He takes truth and he puts a twist in it. It's true that in the garden... Adam and Eve handed 
over their reign and their dominion to the devil. It is true. But he's trying to put that on Jesus. Jesus in a human body, yes, but he's still God. Greater is he that's in me and in you than he that's in the world. Jesus knew that verse. <laughs> so, for it has been turned over to me, he said. Therefore, if you will do homage and worship me just once, <laughs> it's like just this one time, I will give all this to you. Here's the temptation, power, authority, and glory. But here's what's really funny about that temptation. Jesus already had all power and authority. But again, this is one of the ploys of the devil. He comes at you and he tries to deceive you into believing something that is probably already true. And so look at your worksheet question number five. The devil is always trying to get you to do something to get something you've already got. He's always trying to get you to do something to get something you've already got. Jesus already had all power. He says, well, again, if you have all authority and power, I, if you will do this, I will give you all authority and power. What a lie. Liar, liar. And, of course, Jesus didn't fall for that. But even in the, even in the garden, the devil tells Eve and just very slyly and cleverly with kind of an innuendo that God, uh, he's withholding good things from you. If he told you not to eat from that tree, it's because he doesn't want you to be like him. Well, wait a minute. What was the truth in that? They were already perfect. They were already created in the image of God. They did not need any more perfection, but God also created them with a free will, and Eve was deceived. And she ate of the fruit. And he was trying to get her to do something, to get something that she already had. And the devil will always try and, and beat you up, guilt you. You have, to, you have to be a better Christian. You better start performing better because you've really, you've really been lazy. You backslider. The truth is you're still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The truth is that God does not condemn guilt or shame any of us. He will love you. He will show you his goodness. He will woo you. He will draw you in. And then he'll transform your desire. You say, God, I can't get enough of you. I love you. I'm not going to live in this shame and guilt anymore. I used to start every devotional with, God, I'm so sorry that, I, that I'm only spending 20 minutes. Oh, I'm so sorry that I was on Facebook too long and now I can't pray. And it was like... Yeah, I know. I, I do those things, too. So it's, but, but, but you know what? God's not sitting back there going, shame on you. What he's saying, I'll take your shame. Just come. Come on. Come on. And he begins to change your desire. He stirs it up. You wake up in the morning. You say, I don't know if I'm going to listen to a, a, a sermon or am I going to read the word. But, man, I just need, I need you this morning, Lord Jesus. And he does that in us, for us, transforming from the inside out. So the devil will try to guilt trip you into thinking you've got to do something more. But Jesus has already done it all. We just get to come and to be and to enjoy life with him. Here's what Jesus said. This is so awesome. Luke 10, 19, he says, listen carefully. Are you all listening? That's coming from Jesus. Listen carefully. 
I have given you authority that you now possess to tread on serpents and scorpions and the ability to exercise authority over all the power of the enemy who is Satan, and nothing will in any way harm you. Oh, how empowering that verse is. It's not because we're so good and we perform so well, but it's because we can possess and receive and exercise the same authority that Jesus did. And so we are witnessing the kind of authority that you have over every temptation of the devil. There is nothing that the devil can say to you that Jesus has not already defeated. So again, don't be listening and agreeing. You, when the temptation comes, you can talk to it and say, no, that is not who I am. No, I don't receive that as truth. You call him a liar to his face because that's all he can do. And Jesus says, after Satan is going on with this uh, temptation number two, he says, get behind me, Satan. What kind of authority is that? That's the same authority that Jesus had that he now gives to you. Okay, I want, I want to hear this loud and proud and strong. We're going to say this together, get behind me, Satan, but not like that. So he can hear it, and so you mean it. Get behind me, Satan. Are you ready? Yeah. No. no, I don't think you are. Let's try that again. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Because he has to go. Because when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. And he has to go. So we're going to say, get behind me, Satan. One, two, three. Get behind me, Satan. Ooh, you just put him on the run in Jesus' name. All right. It's the same authority. We are witnessing the same empowerment that we need to walk in day after day, moment after moment in our own lives. He said, it is written, you shall do homage to and worship only the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus is resisting the devil and rebuking the devil. Again, greater is he that's in you and me than he that's in the world. You have authority over him. Remember, he's been stripped of his power. He just doesn't want you to know that. But now you do. And so it's up to you to exercise that power because we stand, when we stand in that place of authority, you have been given it by Jesus Christ himself. Here comes the third temptation. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and set him on the gable of a temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, which he was, cast yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give his angels charge over you to guard and watch over you closely and carefully. Do you know the devil knows scripture? But do you see how he's perverting it and twisting it? And he's saying, If, again, you are who you say you are, then prove it to me, which would have meant that Jesus was bowing his knee to the devil's authority. And he continues, he says, And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus didn't fall for that one. He said, The scripture says, You shall not tempt, try, or test exceedingly the Lord your God. He told him who he was. I'm the Lord, your God. Now, Satan had rejected the Lord, his God. But that was the devil's last shot. That was his best attempt to get Jesus to not only question his identity, but to perform, to do something, to get something that Jesus already had. But Jesus obviously did not um, 
fall for all the devil's temptations. And we find, and when the devil had ended the complete cycle of temptation, he temporarily left him, that is, stood off from him afar, until another more opportune and favorable time. This is a device of, this, of Satan. And you are never going to be completely immune from his temptation or his, his, uh, his attempts. But 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. I love to expose him. I love to expose him because he just wants to operate underneath the radar like a stealth, you know. He doesn't want to be exposed. But Jesus came and he exposed and destroyed the works of the devil. And so Jesus said, uh -uh, no more of that. He had been, he had been under the radar all, most of the Old Testament until Jesus came. And then he was exposed. So, but just remember, the temptation's not the sin, but we're not ignorant of how he's going to sometimes hang back and look for a more opportune time. But it's okay, because again, uh, Jesus has already conquered death and the devil. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2.8, I love this. It says, none of the rulers of this age recognized and understood this wisdom, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord their glory. If the devils had known, because they're not all-knowing, they're not all-omniscient, they would never have put Jesus on the cross because they thought they had him. But all they did was open the door to Jesus completely demolishing and stripping them of all their authority and power. And then we find that after this experience, it's only 13 verses long, but it says that Jesus went back full of and under the power of the Holy Spirit into Galilee, and the fame of him spread through the whole region Roundabout. See, this wilderness experience, being tempted by the devil, was part of launching Jesus into his next three or so years of his ministry. And he was full of the Holy Spirit. So it's an encounter with the devil that is full of grace. And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus, you know, it, it's a good lesson to say, oh, how do we handle the, the temptations of the devil? We know he's going to come. This is how he operates. We've exposed his tricks and, and his lies and his deceit. And, and Jesus, we, we can learn from the, that example. But I think it goes a little bit deeper than that. Because, see, Jesus had not yet gone to the cross. And really, the devil had not yet been defeated. The devil didn't know what he was in for, not yet. All he knew is he wanted to get rid of this Jesus person that showed up and is really messing with his kingdom. And he wanted him dead. But Jesus was walking out the redemption plan. The grace in this is that he did it for you in our place. He already rebuked the devil for us. He has now demonstrated and walked through how the devil is going to have nothing on him. And therefore, when the, our redemption is complete after Jesus bled and he died and he took our shame and our guilt and our pain and even death, and then he overcame it, he was victorious over it. And now he says, and everything that I've done, now I give to you. That means that you are no longer under the same power of temptation, the same way that Jesus defeated it, he did it for us. And that's just grace, always doing something for us that we do not, that we can't do for ourselves and we do not deserve. But he did it in our place. Let's wrap this up with worksheet question number six. 
So this is, this is the plan. This is what works. This is your weapon. This is where you stand with the authority. You submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. John 4, 7. So you might think the most important word in this verse is resist, but I believe the most important word is submit. If you are just resisting the devil and you're not recognizing that I'm standing in the authority that is Jesus, and when the devil looks at me, he's got to run, not because I'm so spiritual and I'm so great and I say all the right words. Uh uh-uh. It's because he looks at me and goes, Jesus, and he runs. Okay, because you're covered in the blood of Jesus, right? And you're taking, you're standing and understanding and have revelation to know that when I'm submitted to God and I'm receiving the identity that he has given me through the blood of Jesus, then the devil has to go. All I have to do is resist him. I don't have to. I have to do this with, of my own will and say, no, I'm not going to do that thing. That thing no longer satisfies me. I would rather have uh, my, my, all my needs met through you, Jesus, because every time I do this sin, it just leaves me feeling guilty and full of shame. You love me too much. I love you too much to do that anymore. Thank you for taking the want to out of that sin, that temptation that's always gotten to me. I'm going to resist it because now, devil, you have to go because I am submitting to God. I'm submitting my will, and I'm going to do this your way, God. Now do it in me. And oh, that devil's got to run. In the name of Jesus, he can't stand to be around the name of Jesus. That word submit, it's a wonderful definition. It means submit to God. It means to arrange oneself under the command of divine viewpoint rather than to live according to the old way of life based on my own understanding. It's a process of surrendering surrendering our own will to that of the Father's. See, we submit to God because he's already conquered the devil. And we get to be in that rightful place that he gifts us through faith. Let me pray over you before we break up into our discussion groups. Father God, bring that revelation to us that the authority that you walked in Jesus, the way you did not fall for Satan's lies and deception, Father, bring that to us in such a new way that we will be bold, that we will be women who rise up, that we will be Davids, that we will know and have confidence in our right standing with you, not because we're so good, but because you are so good and you did that on our behalf. And we just say thank you. Thank you for that new understanding, that new revelation that empowers us against temptation and calls us victorious in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's girls said, amen and amen. All right.